Welcome back to Lethal. Let's talk about death row inmates. This week, I'll be covering a Florida death row inmate. This week, I'll be covering a Florida death row inmate, Glenn Edward Rogers. He's known as the cross-country killer and the Casanova killer. Get ready for a wild episode. You know the drill. Before I jump into the case, I'm going to talk about Florida death row. This week, I'll be going over Florida death row inmates' daily routines. Death row inmates wear orange t-shirts and their pants are blue, just like the other inmates. So I'm guessing the orange top differentiates them from other inmates at the prison. Next, let's talk about their cell. They have two different cells for the inmates. So they have a daily cell that they're in, but their second cell is a death watch cell. An inmate is placed in this cell when the inmate is awaiting execution. While inmates are on death watch, they're able to have a radio and a TV. They're also able to make two phone calls, one for legal reasons and second for a social phone call. So they're able to call anyone they want. Death row inmates are given a last meal request in Florida, but the meal cannot exceed $40 and it has to be locally bought. Inmates are counted once an hour. This is to make sure they're in their cell and that they're okay. When they're moved to different parts of the prison, the inmates are taken in handcuffs. The only time the inmates don't have handcuffs on is when they are in their cell, taking a shower, or in the exercise area. They're actually able to take a shower every other day. Let's talk about their entertainment. Inmates are able to receive mail, listen to the radio, or watch TV on their 13-inch TV screens, but the TVs do not have cable. Also, they're not able to hang out with each other in the common area. This was actually one of my questions to the inmates when I wrote them. I pretty much just asked if they were able to shoot the shit with each other in the common area, but I guess it's no. So death row inmates are able to have visitors, but they have to be approved before they come. And they all have specific dates and times they can have visitors. Next, let's talk about their meals. Inmates are given three meals a day. Breakfast starts at 5 o'clock in the morning. Lunch is from 10.30 to 11, and dinner is from 4 to 4.30. The inmates are also able to buy snacks from the commissary. I looked online, and they have a ton of options. They can buy coffee tea, or soda. They can also buy condiments and snacks like chips, cookies, or candy. They're also able to buy entrees, soups, frozen food, and so much more. It's kind of like a grocery store. They can buy different stuff like shampoo, conditioner, and the list goes on. As for the food served, I looked online and I was able to see what they were served. They get different food every day. For example, on Monday, they were given oatmeal, two waffles, fresh fruit, coffee, a breakfast beverage with syrup and butter. For lunch, they were given breaded chicken, rice, broccoli, a tossed salad, two pieces of bread. They were also given the condiments mayonnaise and mustard. For dinner, they were given two hot dogs, mac and cheese, baked beans, and coleslaw. So now that we've covered death row inmates daily routines, let's get into the story. So once again, I have a glass of wine and I'm ready to jump into this case. And I do have my dog next to me. She's literally my baby. So this week I'll be covering inmate number 1244 
0-0, Glenn Edward Rogers. Glenn is currently 58 years old and is serving at the Union Correctional Institution in Rayford, Florida. Glenn was born July 15, 1962 in Hamilton, Ohio. He grew up in a big family. He was one of seven kids. His mother was Edna and his father was Claude. When they got married, Claude was abusive towards his wife and he had a big drinking problem. And unfortunately, the kids saw this growing up. He would drink from the bottle and he would play around with his gun. He would even hold it up to Edna's head and he would do this in front of the children. This wasn't a good environment for the children to grow up in and it only got worse. Claude was eventually fired from his job for his drinking problem, so the family struggled to put food on the table. The kids at a young age learned to steal so they were able to eat. Glenn started to be problematic at a young age. He would break into houses and steal money, but this was taught to him by one of his brothers named Clay. Clay is very important. You'll be hearing a lot about Clay in this story. So, Glenn and Clay were actually caught after they committed 100 burglaries in 90 days. Glenn was sent to reform school. While he attended, he was being sexually molested by people on the inside. Clay found out and took him out. When he left reform school, he met a girl named Deborah. She had a baby and they needed a place to stay, so Glenn took them in. He loved Deborah and he loved her baby. He legally adopted it. They got married in 1980, and they had a second child in 1981, but their marriage quickly went downhill. He was jealous and became very controlling of Deborah. She had to stay home with the kids, and if she left, he would beat her. But he grew up seeing his father doing this to his mother, so I assume he didn't see anything wrong with it. Deborah filed for divorce in 1983 because she was done with her abusive husband. He left his family and moved to California. He met another woman named Kathy and they had a boy, but this marriage didn't work out either. They divorced in 1984. Soon after, Claude, Glenn's father, passed away from a stroke. Glenn took this very hard. He started to spiral. He was actually doing drugs, traveling across the country, and getting arrested frequently. He eventually returned to his hometown and was still committing crimes, but now with deadly weapons. He was caught one day and was actually hired by police to be an undercover drug informant. How do I even begin with this? Hmm. Let's go back to when Glenn was a child. His family did not go to church. They were actually part of another religion or spiritual journey, I guess you could say. Him and his siblings were taken to a Sin Eater event. Oh, you don't know what that is? Yeah, I didn't either, so buckle up. They watched a man eat food off a dead body so he could get rid of his sins. If I could insert crickets here, I would, but I don't know how. And that would be to show you that my mind is so overwhelmed. Like, what the hell? That's crazy. They obviously didn't have a normal childhood. This spiritual place they would go also talked about the devil and demons, so you know, normal stuff. Before Glenn started to kill, Clay and Glenn actually had a ritual experience. They were chanting, trying to unleash a demon. Glenn truly believed an evil demon entered his body at the ritual. Glenn and his brother Clay traveled together across a couple states after this, and Clay said Glenn started talking about death and wanting to stab people and wanting to murder. Clay wanted to get his life straight, so he had to leave Glenn. 
Before we really dive into the story, let me start by saying that Glenn was suspected for killing an elderly man in Ohio in 1993 and for killing four women in different states that included California, Mississippi, Florida, and Louisiana. But he claimed to have murdered around 70 victims and later said the statement was a joke. But murdering people is not a joke. Let's start with his first suspected victim, Mark Peters. He was a veteran and a retired electrician. January 10th, 1994, police found a body of a 71-year-old man. He was found in a cabin that belonged to Glenn's family in Beattyville, Kentucky. Glenn and Mark knew each other before the attack took place. Mark let Glenn live in his home with him. Until October 1993, Mark was reported missing. Mark's car was missing and some of his personal items were missing as well. This included guns, his collection of coins, and some of his antiques. During this time, Glenn had disappeared as well. Clay, Glenn's brother, told police to check the family's cabin for clues. This was hard for Clay to admit to police because he didn't want to turn in his brother, but he knew he had to. This is when police found Mark's body. His skeleton was bound to a chair. The next victim was Sandra Gallagher. She was a 33-year-old mother. She had three children. This attack took place in Van Nuys, California. September 28, 1995, Sandra had met Glenn at a bar. She was actually at the bar to celebrate. She'd won $1,200 from a lottery ticket. That's pretty cool. Glenn asked Sandra for a ride home from the bar, and she agreed. Unfortunately, the next day, Sandra was found in her burning truck, raped and strangled. Her car was actually found close to Glenn's apartment. Glenn was convicted for murdering Sandra on June 22, 1999. On July 16, 1999, he was sentenced to death in California. His next victim was Linda Price. She was in her 30s and had beautiful red hair. I say her hair color because his mother had red hair, and they're suspected that he was harder on his victims that had red hair, because his dad was abusive, he expected his mother to be his protector, and she wasn't. So, that's why I'm letting you know about her hair color. This attack took place in Jackson, Mississippi. Linda met Glenn at a beer tent at the state fair. They dated and lived together briefly, only three weeks. Linda told her sister, Kathy, if anything happened to her, it was because of Glenn. Linda wasn't able to tell her sister why she said this because Glenn would not leave her by herself for too long. Kathy was supposed to hang out with Linda on Halloween at her apartment, but when Kathy showed up and her sister didn't answer the door, she knew something was wrong. Linda's body was found stabbed to death in her bathtub, and Glenn was nowhere to be found. He had left. Glenn's next victim was Tina Marie Cribs. This attack occurred in Tampa, Florida. On November 5, 1995, Tina met Glenn at a bar and Glenn bought Tina and her friends drinks. Glenn actually asked Tina for a ride home and she agreed. She left her beer with her friends and told them that she was going to be right back. She was just going to drop him off at his motel and she'd be right back because her mom was actually meeting her at the bar too, but her mom was running late. So she thought, why not? I'm going to go ahead and take him back to the motel for him. So Glenn and Tina were last seen leaving the bar together. Okay, let's stop right here real quick. Here is a life rule. Never, ever give a random person a ride. Just don't do it. 
just don't freaking do it. I don't care if your friend is in the car with you. Don't give a rando a ride. Let's take care of number one and stay safe. Okay, let's get back to it. Two days later, Tina was found by cleaning staff at a motel. Her body was in the bathtub like the last victim. She had been stabbed in the chest and the butt. Sadly, this was a slow death. He stabbed her twice and twisted the knife as he pulled it out, and he left her in the bathtub to bleed out. This motel room was actually Glenn's. November 5th, he had requested an extra night and asked that this room not be cleaned. But staff found this to be weird because right after this request, he loaded up his white Ford Festiva car and left. Tina's wallet was found at the rest stop in a different area of Florida, but fingerprints were lifted and matched Glenn's. On November 13th, Glenn was arrested in Kentucky driving Tina's car. He told police she let him borrow the car and was still alive when he left her. On July 11th, 1997, Glenn was convicted and sentenced to death for the murder in Florida. His next victim was Andy Sutton. This attack occurred in Bozier City, Louisiana. Glenn and Andy met at a bar, just like all the other women. They went back to Andy's apartment for the night, and her body was found November 9, 1995, stabbed to death on her bed. She was later found by her roommate. So, do you remember when I told you Glenn was arrested on November 13, 1995 for driving Tina's car? Yeah, well, there's actually more to that story. He actually led Kentucky police on a 13-mile chase. Police crashed into his car to bump him off the road. Glenn was sentenced to death on Valentine's Day, 1999, by execution, but appealed to the Florida Supreme Court and argued that there wasn't enough evidence to charge him with the crimes. His appeal was delayed until March 2001 and was later denied. April 2005, Glenn filed another appeal, and this was denied again in 2011. Oh, did you think we were done? He's also a suspect in the murder of Nicole Simpson and Ron Goldman. You know, the O.J. Simpson case. Glenn went to visit his family in Hamilton and told them he met an amazing girl named Nicole. He would do work around the house for her. And Clay got a call from Glenn one day and he said he was hanging out with Nicole and he told Clay he was planning on taking her down because she had a ton of money. After talking about Nicole to his family, she was found murdered. Glenn family believed he was involved with Nicole's murder. Glenn was living in Hollywood at the time and worked for a company that fixed and painted houses across the city. A white pickup truck was seen in front of Nicole's house the night she was murdered. Coincidentally, Glenn had access to a white pickup truck from his company. He had a couple ties connecting him to Nicole. Glenn told police OJ paid him to break into Nicole's house to steal back $20,000 earrings she had. OJ's instructions to him were that you might have to kill that bitch if you have to. Glenn told police OJ didn't want to get his hands dirty, so Glenn was responsible for the murder. There was evidence that there were two men at the house when Nicole was murdered. So number one being OJ and number two being Glenn. Oh, and get this. Nicole collected angel jewelry before she died. Glenn sent his mother an angel pen with a diamond on it and requested that she wear it at his trial. So what do you think? Was he involved? 
Glenn became one of FBI's most wanted, so police decided to look deeper into unsolved cases across the country because he traveled across the country for 15 years. There was actually a pattern spotted. Women stabbed to death and left in a bathtub or left in a burning car, and we know he did both of those. Police searched the family cabin to start when the first this is actually where the first victim was found so police actually discovered human bones and hair in two different fire pits his death count is currently unknown and glenn has actually ran out of appeals so his execution can be any day now i did write to glenn and holy cow so before i write to the inmates i do look them up and i see what crimes they committed but i didn't realize he's suspected for killing 70 women so that is so insane to me so what do y'all think will he confess to all of his murders before he's executed let me know what you think i hope you enjoyed the episode don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review on apple podcast go follow my insta lethal underscore podcast and feel free to shoot me an email at lethal.tcpodcast at gmail.com Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for a new case and a new inmate. I'll be covering a new death row inmate in Illinois. All the information used in my podcast came from the following sources. Wikipedia, Murderpedia, My Brother the Serial Killer documentary, and dc.state.fl.us slash death row. Thanks for listening. Can't wait to see you next week.